Welcome to Foibles, where my mom and I record conversations we have anyway. I'm Zoe. I'm Zoe's mom. Oh yeah, that's right. I have a name. It's Frida. (laughs) Hello, dedicated and loyal listeners. We have another podcast for you today. This one comes out of our uh, reading together, our reading out loud together, as we have, I think we've mentioned this before, right? Well, we definitely talked about it on the other podcast that we did a guest spot on. What should I read next, Mm -hmm. I think? But, I mean, we've been spending so much extra time together even since quarantine started that one of the activities we've taken up is that mom will read books out loud to me. Of course, you have to be careful what you choose because it's got to be something that reads well, that moves along, that's not too interior or... Basically, or sleep. too complex to follow without looking at the page. Right. Sleep, you know, anything sleep-inducing, anything like that. So we've read a lot of different things. Nancy Drew's. So we kind of started with younger things. Well, you never really read Nancy Drew, which is why we picked it up. Because, of course, it was a cornerstone of my reading as a kid. And it, they were fun. They're fun. And then we, we read... Scarlet Pimpernel. The Scarlet Pimpernel was just... I think we, we... Did we do a podcast on that one? Did we done We that? recorded about it. It's not out yet. Okay. But. Through the various other things, I decided that I had this gigantic piles and piles of books that I bought over the years at library sales and half-price books and various things. And I thought, okay, I have to unburden myself because I have these books are just sitting here. So I swore, and I did, I think, 99.9% adhere to my resolution to not buy another book, uh, no matter how cheap, <laughs> and and really even to, to forego getting books from the library until I had gone through all these books and either read them and then decided whether to get rid of them or keep them in my library. Basically, that was it. There were a lot of books. I'd pick them up and read a few chapters. And go, no, don't like this. Okay. You know, so we sold a lot of those books to secondhand bookstores, gave them away to Goodwill, depending. But amongst these piles, there were a few gems And one of them was this book that I got, and I bought it simply because it was so cool. It was a, I don't know if we can put a picture of this in our show notes or not of the book, but that would be great. It's one of those really old timey books from the 1800s that are, they don't have that many pages, maybe 300 pages, but they're really heavy. They're heavy like a dictionary and has an embossed cover. And the title of the book was Donald and Dorothy. And they have a couple beautiful butterflies and some morning glory climbing up a pole. And then there's this hand reaching down. I guess it's it's what, sending rays of light? Sunlight, yeah. yeah. <laughs> rays of light over the names Donald and Dorothy excised in the book. And then the spine has got gold. It's a gold spine. It's one of those fancy books it's, and the and the page... The pages are all kind of cut unevenly, you know, and they're, so they're all textured. Yeah, and they're really, really heavy, and it's, and it's heavily illustrated. I don't know if this was a particularly fancy book in the day, because books were rare and they were highly prized. Because in the 1800s, and this book is actually, I believe, a first edition. Yeah, first edition from 1883. They hadn't yet developed paperbacks in, in the way we have them. They didn't have any mass market or trade books or whatever. Books were like books. They would be book. They were tomes, and so they were always pretty nice. So I don't know. Anyway, I pulled this book out and I went, "Oh, it's so cool and pretty." Uh, Mary Mapes Dodge, cool name. That's pretty much all I knew. And then I remembered that Mary Mapes Dodge was the author who wrote a book called Hans Sprinker or the Silver Skates, which is not a book I ever read, 
Well, I think I did. I think I read a little picture book of it when I was a kid. It was still current, even though Hans Brinker had been written in 1865. It was very, very popular for a long, long time. And they had made a couple movies out of it. And I did see one, one movie that I thought it was a Disney film, but clearly it wasn't, starring Tab uh, Hunter as Hans Brinker skating, because he was a great skater, I guess. He was a competitive skater at one point in his life. So essentially, that piqued my interest. Okay, let's read this. And so we finally got around to it. We started reading it. And what did we find, Zoe? We loved it. It was a delight. It, it was so charming. Why is this book not still being read? Yeah. I, I'm sure it isn't in print anymore, which is a shame. I went on A Books. You know, I saw there were copies there. You can get copies of it. They weren't really expensive. They weren't, you know, first edition fancy books. Like I, that I paid all of maybe, I think I probably paid $3 for this book at half price books. Nobody wanted it. But you don't know what you're missing. It's a delight. She is really a good writer. It's a book for young people. Like, it's written and the characters are, are in their early teens, I think. Maybe 13, 14. Yeah, but but the writing, there was no such thing as young adult or, or teenage or children's literature back in the day. Writing was writing. I mean, you know, you, it is it is good adult writing. I mean, I would say it's it's both smart and playful. Okay, well, yeah, there's, there's a whimsy to it, but also a real heartfelt sentimentality in the good way. Not sentimental, it's tr- not at all treacly, not at all, and, which is surprising because if you read other authors from this period, and I'm going to actually say she is up there with Louise, Louisa May Alcott and some other writers of that ilk, but let's say Louise May Alcott and, and those kinds of books, they tend to be very wordy, Lots and lots of words, really long. Now, this book is a smallish book, and it's only 350 pages. I mean, Little Women is gigantic. Right. Lots of words in that. And they tend to be very preachy, because the point of writing books for younger people was to be didactic, was to show them the right way to be. Yeah, you throw some entertainment in there, but the entertainment is to get them to learn the right lessons. And I don't find that in this book at all. I enjoy it way more, because it is, it's light, it's got whimsy, and yet, I would say inventive in its form, in the structure of the book. Yes, the book goes really mostly from beginning to end with a few flashbacks in it. So it's not structurally really complicated, but like a scene will be very neatly structured. For example, there is a scene in this book where Donald and Dorothy are brother and sister. And they are riding the carriage with their guardian, their uncle, because their parents are deceased. But in order to pull you in, she pulls way back and you start it's a hot afternoon you start with the perspective of the fly that is buzzing around the horse that is drawing the carriage so you start with the fly's perspective and what the fly is experiencing then you go to what the horse is experiencing then you go to what the coachman is experiencing and then she moves you inside the carriage to the main characters inside. And it is done with such wit. I mean, it is witty. And the characters in the book, there's, there's excitement. There are people who are scary. There's, there's tension. But she draws characters, it seems, so much from her heart. It's extraordinarily wholesome, yeah. Well, it's wholesome, but it's not wholesome. In, that's kind of like a, a word that's dissed. It's, it's come back in. Yeah, okay. People like things so People wholesome, like wholesome nowadays. It is wholesome, but it's exciting. And there, there's a bad guy who really is not very nice, but not in a extravagant, villainous way, but someone who is insidious. 
and creeping, kind of more of an Uriah Heap kind of guy. Somebody who's there all the time, worming their way in, trying to trying to get in to get what they want. That will be to the detriment of our hero and heroine. But I guess what I'm trying to I'm trying to get to and get you excited about this book is that she is able to draw these characters from her heart so that they have this a living character and characteristics and attributes that are unique to them to each of the individuals so it isn't like oh this is a generic child okay and here's some more children and this is always what children say and here's the generic adults and this is what adults say but everyone has their own their own class their own personal history their own points of view their own attitudes and their own interests and 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 their own agenda so even though yeah they're good people and they they're taking care of these children and they're really focused on that they also have agenda outside that like oh well maybe the maid downstairs kind of likes the guy who uh, delivers the fish and they've kind of got a like you know and they're older people they're you know what i don't know what older would be then but 50s but it's just like for example there are in other books that i've read where this kind of thing happens they're really boring like she has a whole chapter on a children's party where they have, you know, the food and the games and all the stuff they're doing. But actually, in this book, she so gets into the minds and the attitudes and the excitement and the interest of the children that I'm, I'm reading it with interest. What's going to come next? What are they going to say? What are they doing? This, it's like I have the fun of the party while I'm reading this. And believe me, I am hard on books in terms of this kind of stuff. I get really bored with this kind of stuff. And I was not at all. There's a a race, a boat race, that's just, it takes up two or three chapters. But it is just riveting. I mean, would you agree? Yeah, it's sort of incredible to do that in a context where like the boat race, for example, the stakes aren't incredibly high. Like, they're just doing it for fun. Right. Yet, it's totally engrossing. It, it is as uh, thrilling to us as it is to them. Therefore, that's why the stakes are high. Because the stakes are high for them as kids. It's important to, you know, to be the boy who, you know, and, okay, I'm going to get to that too. Uh, be the boy who, you know, is the best sailor and all that. And what's interesting is the book also, being from the 1800s, you can expect there are going to be gender norms and roles and so forth. But at the same time, Mary Mapes Dodge butts up against those. She acknowledges them as restrictive. She acknowledges them as unfair, wouldn't you say? Both the writing is very readable and and because of that, I feel it feels pretty modern. Yeah. Um, like the you know, there's there's some standard stuff about all oh, the girls wanna go pick flowers and the boys wanna go do this or that, but the different characters have different relationships to that social norm i guess and uh and not just gender but yeah yeah but that in particular is what comes up is that oh girls do this boys do that because we have a boy and a girl as the main characters and i I thought it was really interesting because she creates a real bond between the brother and sister that just isn't an assumed bond and when they have conflicts they are real conflicts so they're not nasty and they're not like shouty and they're not but they can have divisions and they can have hurts between them as well as as really tender strong bonds of love and what i love is that that at some point it becomes clear that donald's going to get to go to school and dorothy isn't because girls don't go to school and donald thinks to himself gee that really is you know it's really hard being a girl it isn't fair that girls are restricted i mean donald can't see why dorothy can't go to school they don't rebel 
and they don't kick and scream about it. But Donald in himself is aware of the unfairness of him getting to go to school and her not. It's really excellent on that point, actually. Mm-hmm. And and then the other thing that I was alluding to was um, that it's not just gender. Like, there's a scene in the party chapter mm. where the kids are playing, I think, cowboys and Indians. Oh, right, right. Um, and and so, but then they it, it turns into a very thoughtful conversation with different points of view about some people being like, wait, I thought I heard about how, you know, poorly the Native Americans were treated and didn't they get killed? And yeah. the other kids are like, oh, yeah, that's wrong. And yeah, and this um, is from the 1800s. So they don't use uh, Native Americans, by the way, in the book. Right. That was just your language. I just wanted to make sure they knew that, you know. Yeah. 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 It's great. Like they're going, hey, yeah, well, you know, the Indians are so violent. And, and, and one of the other kids is something like, well, what would how would you react if people were killing you off and taking your land and stuff like that, which is really pretty remarkable I think I don't tend to see that kind of thing in these earlier books things are just taken not even thought about they're just offhand exist oh we're playing cowboys and Indians yeah that's right I forgot about that that's that is good I like that but I highly recommend it and just to give you a little bit more of a taste and a little bit more of excitement about the book I hope I'm gonna read it just a paragraph First the horses, while vaguely wishing Jack would loosen his hold, and that hard iron something in their mouths would snap into and relieve them. They were enjoying their own speed, taking in great draughts of great air, keeping their eyes open and their ears ready for any startling things that might leap from the rustling bushes along the drive, or from the shadows of the roadside trees, and longing in an elegant, well-fed way for the plentiful supper that awaited them at home. Next was the group of little belated insects that, tempted by the glittering sunlight, happened to go along, alighting now and then on the carriage, now on Jack, and now on the horses. Not being horseflies, they were not even noticed by the span. Yet they had business of their own, whatever it could have been so late in the season, and were briskly attending to it. Next there was Jack, good sailor Jack, sitting upright, soberly dressed in snug-fitting clothes and a high black stovepipe hat, when at heart he longed to wear his tarpaulin and move about on his sea legs again. His only consolation was to feel the carriage roll and pitch over the few uneven places along the road, to pull at his tiller ropes, as he liked to call the reins, and guide the craft as trim as he could. Honest Jack, though a coachman now, for reasons which you shall know before long, was a sailor at heart, and followed his old ways as far as his present situation would allow. At this very moment he was wondering at his own weakness in turning himself into a miserable landlubber, all for the love of the captain and the two little middies. Meantime, Donald was divided between random boy thoughts on one side and a real manly interest in Dorothy, whose lot seemed to him decidedly less pleasant than his own. Dory was quietly enjoying the change from keen grief to its absence and a sense of security in being so near Uncle and Donald. So, I got it reversed. It was the horses first, then the flies. But still, it pulls you in closer and closer. And you, know, and you notice that they, he talks about how Donald is aware that things aren't so great for Dorothy, uh, they aren't quite fair for her. But it's it's very light-handed. 
We'll talk about her other book next, but it's clear to me that we read this one first and it's it's the later and her writing has really become polished in the meantime. Yeah, more polished and, and wittier. So this is 1883. And then her first book, which is really the one people seem to be familiar with, is Hans Brinker or The Silver Skates, which, like I said, was made into a couple different films. Tab Hunter was in the one that I saw as a kid. And it was some TV production, I guess. And it's so funny in my mind, he's actually out uh, on something that looked like the canal, the frozen canal, skating and all this stuff. And when we saw it, it was so dim. And it was obviously done in a studio with like an ice, little ice rink. Yeah. And it was really, really low budget stuff. And it's not how I remembered it at all. It's not great. Everyone's kind of milling about in a little bit. Like they didn't get very good direction. <laughs> it's very early TV. Very early, early TV. And it may have been live TV. I don't know. But it's very early TV. And so it, the camera angles are not great. The camera work is not great. But what really made it, made it like especially poignant to me is that the old doctor in the story is played by my beloved Basil Rathbone in his later years. He really stands out. Yeah, uh, he does. Even in the version we watched on YouTube, which was very snowy in terms of like being washed out and whatnot. Uh, he suddenly comes on and you're like, oh, this is what actors are like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, he brings up that, that, that Shakespearean uh, voice and his presence and he just, he just pushes it right through the camera, even in his older age. Anyway, so getting off Baz. Uh, Hans Brinker, is, it was very interesting when we read it because it is a story about Hans Brinker and his family and his poor dad who got knocked on the head and became uh, kind of, I don't know, uh, it, it took away his memory and it seemed to take away his judgment. I mean, I think in the old days they would have said, turned him into an imbecile. Right. In the olden days. Uh, I don't, but yeah, I, it's not a very scientific no. uh, rendition. And so, yeah, he his memory's gone. He doesn't really speak. He sits by the fire and occasionally well, does impulsive stuff. Let's put it the way he has, he has brain damage. Yeah. He's, he, he, he's, he's impaired because of his brain damage. I guess that's what it is. And, uh, and, and he, he has a poor impulse control, so he's kind of dangerous. Like, he, like just one of the lesser things he did is he burned up his daughter's new shoes. He threw them in the fire. He didn't know what shoes were, I guess. You know, he's just kind of like not in control. And um, and they're very, very poverty stricken. They have low status with a lot of people in the town. But there are a few good people like Peter, who's really the hero of the story, which is interesting. Not Hans, but Peter's really the hero. And Peter treats him as an equal, treats him with respect. And they, they, they create a friendship and so forth. Uh, but really, most of the book is just about these boys taking off on a skating expedition down the frozen canal. And Zoe and I were going, I want to go there. Do they still do that in Holland? In yeah. Holland? That They're was just amazing. They're going from village to village on their skates. Yeah, on, on the canal because it gets so frozen. I mean, that, that happens in Russia, too, and probably other places as well. But they have this smooth ice because they keep people off of it. It's like the law. It's like, you know, law enforcement. You can't get on there until it's frozen enough. And then they have like ice boats. Yeah. That awesome. Like track by the wind, the power of the wind yeah. blowing it. And it just blows across the ice. And then a bunch of old ladies and they're like. They're Little like chairs. That, yeah, that you push. Yeah. Along and with furs and like foot warmers and stuff. I know. It just sounds so amazing. Yeah, you cool. know. <laughs> and so they go on an adventure uh, uh, to Leiden and uh, what other cities did the they Hague. go? The Hague. The Hague. And they visit museums. And so, so much of the book is information about. Holland. Yeah, but Holland, and, and the thing is, is uh, Mary Mapes Dodge became fascinated 
by Holland and she had neighbors who were Dutch. And so she checked everything out with them and got their stories and, and she just really did a lot of research. And she wrote this book, so it's half travel log and half adventure story. And I have to say, again, I am hard on scenery descriptions. I hate them. I get so bored and I don't care who wrote it. It, it better be really good and usually really short for me to want to read it. I just don't like descriptions of places very much. I get quite bored. I enjoyed these. They were fun because she always managed to inject some sort of point of view or humor or something into them that, that made them more than just a description of a place. Yeah, and I mean, it does make Holland sound so outlandish and so... Wonderful and diff, Almost like a Miyazaki world. Yeah, but, that's true. Um, with the houses with their like little windmills on top and, <laughs> yeah. and hanging gardens and I don't know. And their little cabanas out in the middle of the lake that people go and yeah, stay and in and hang carve out. with ornate wood carvings. Oh, I know. It's amazing. <laughs> it's, it just sounds like, God, I would Holland <laughs> sounds awesome. Yeah. I mean, if you've got enough money and you're not living in the shack. Yeah, Hans well, we're, we're Hans Brinkers, we're the Brinker family <laughs> in the shacks, exactly. And just the way that she, they, she describes the clothing and, I don't know, I, I enjoyed it so very much. And I loved the characters. Mm-hmm. And in her books, there's always seems to be a little boy. Well, she first of all, I should say she had two sons. So this makes a lot of sense. A little, a little kind of chirpy, sassy, little cute little boy that you just adore. And in um, Donald and Dorothy, it's Fandy, right? And he's a neighborhood boy. Uh, the, there's a large family. How many of them are there? How many children? Eight children in that family? Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna skip back to Donald and Dorothy for a second to talk about our favorite characters that we forgot. Um, they've, they're the Danbys. The Danby. And, and they name all their children alphabetically, A, B, C, D, E, F. And so Fandy is Fandy Danby. <laughs> and he is so adorable, so cute. He's the little kid who everybody knows he's going to grow up to be the preacher because he'll get on the soapbox and he will do a sermon to the children when they're being ill-behaved. But the sermon is so funny. It is It is so childlike. It's almost like she might have taken dictation from some kid of what he thought a sermon should be like. All of the siblings have their own traits. And here is um, little Fandy. It was the hour for the afternoon cleaning up. Eight of the little Danbys, including Charity, with baby Jamie in her arms, had assembled to wash their hands and faces at the battered green pump under the shed where, on a low, low bench, there were two yellow earthenware basins and a saucer containing a few fragments of brown soap, while on the wall hung a roller towel that already was on very familiar terms with Danby faces and hands. The general toilet had been rather a noisy one, owing partly to the baby objecting to having soap in its eyes, and partly to the fact that too many required the services of the Danby roller at the same instant. To say nothing of Miss Helen insisting upon slapping the water in a most unladylike way, and so splashing Master Gregory. This combination having brought matters to a crisis, Fandy had been inspired to mount a small stepladder, and, with many original gestures, addressed the crowd in the following fashion. I want you to read this part. Oh, okay. Children! I'm ashamed of you. I don't know when I've been so... so unpressed with the badness of this family. Now, often, my hearers, do you expect me to stop my dressing to extort you? I didn't mean to preach no more sermons this week, but you do behave so awful bad, I must. Now first, don't you know speaking saucy is a sin? Don't you know it? 
It makes us hateful, and it makes us cross, and it makes people tell Ma. It ain't right for Chris and Chillin to do such things. I don't never say in our Bible lesson that folks can call people's mean uglies just for wanting the roller. And it don't say that a good Christian child can say, pshaw to you, for having not to make quite so much noise, which you, my beloved Gory, said just now to Charity. Uh, I, it's tempting to read the whole thing, but it goes on longer. It goes on a so long time, funny. but it's funny. It's very funny. <laughs> Um, yeah, and so we love Fandy, and then there's a similar character, or not a similar character, but... He's a little boy. He's similar yeah. in that he's a little saucy, <laughs> cheeky boy, uh, who just seems to be adorable, uh, who might have been played by, what's his name, uh, from Home Alone? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, and then his name is Wustenwald, let's see, how would you say it in German? So, so W's are said like... V's. V, no, V's are, yeah, W's are said like V's, but V's are said like F's, I think. I think that's right. Fustenwalbert Schimmelfenig is his name. <laughs> Wonderful name. Quite a name. Fantastic. And, and of course, it's very funny because it's such a long name, and he's the littlest boy in the group, you know, and he's, he's probably small for his age. Uh, although, I, can I tell my, I'm going to tell my uh, Abraham Lincoln story about Schimmelfenig. Oh, okay. Because they're in the, during the Civil War, this has nothing to do with Mary Mapes Dodge, except it might take place around the time the Silver Skates was written, right, in 1865. True. um, One of the things Lincoln had to do was when he was appointing generals and officers in the army, he had to make sure he balanced all the interests in the the country because it was political. And everybody had to feel they were represented and so on and so forth. And one of the big groups at the time that was a special interest group were the Germans that came into the country because they were the new immigrants at the time and they were the ones that the anti-immigrant sentiment was against the Germans because they were coming in as foreigners, quote unquote, to um, to take over or whatever. So the Germans had their own sort of cohesion and they had to have somebody to represent them in the army and so it was time for Lincoln to get a German general in there. So he gets a list of the qualified possible candidates for the position and he looks down he looks down he looks down he goes Schimmelfenig the very man and he rubbing his hands together Schimmelfenig because the name is so German <laughs> that merely by appointing him he has fulfilled the need to address his German constituency so the book I have for Hans Bricker because we love Donald and Dorothy so much and had such a cool book we, I ordered one online. I, I wasn't going to spend a ton of money like on a first edition, like whatever that would be. Uh, so I got something, you know, from much later. It's, uh, it looks like it was probably published uh, in like 1890, oh, 1896 was, was the, the edition, which is, you know, like the fourth edition. So, but it's really cool. Uh, you know, I only paid maybe $25, $26 for it. And, um, but it's really neat. It's heavy. It's got the hardback, it's blue, it's got gold and fancy script on the front. I love that stuff. And on the flyleaf, it was owned by an Elise M. Smith in 1943. So I hope she enjoyed that book. I appreciate that she took good care of it. And now we have it with all the cool pictures. And just a little bit about Mary Mapes Dodge and how cool she is. She was uh, born in 1831 and 
kind of typical life. She got married. Her name was Mary Mapes, or married Mr. Dodge, and she had two children, two sons. And unfortunately, her husband disappeared when he was boating, and he was found drowned. And mm. now she is a single mother. Uh, you know, she didn't come from a, like a totally poor family. Her, it sounds like her father was a publisher, and that you know had. It said, and I, what I was reading, I'm getting most of this from Wikipedia, by the way, so feel free to go there if you don't want to hear this. Um, they uh, had an estate, so a place where they had a little house where she could live with her sons. But apparently when they got old enough, she needed to start making some real money to, you know, send them to school and educate them. And she wanted to send them to college and so forth. So she ended up uh, starting to write, and she wrote things about, I guess, travel and poems and stories and so forth for a while and then ultimately she ended up working on her father's magazines and she ended up editing Home and Hearth and also uh, a children's magazine or maybe Home and Hearth had children's stories in it. I'm not, I wasn't clear on that. But anyway, she ended up working with people like Mark Twain, Harriet Beecher Stowe, like all of the, the leading lights in American literature and some, you know, from Europe and got stories from them, children's stories, including, which I thought was very interesting, she contacted, I guess, or talked to Rudyard Kipling, I probably corresponded, didn't actually talk with him, about writing a children's story for her magazine, and he'd never written a children's story before, and she really encouraged him and kind of pushed him to write a children's story, and that's how we got the Jungle Book. Fascinating. Amazing. Mary Mapes Dodge, you're awesome. <laughs> and she, um, yeah, so basically she made money and she, she educated her children and published I two really good novels. And, pro- and, and, and the rest of her, her books are collections of stories or collections of poems or, or what they called sketches at the time, which were like little essays or little uh, stories about real life, which I'm not that interested in. I love her novels, and that's what I want to read. And I want to read her, her character development and things like that. So I haven't read any of those, I have to say. But only two novels, excellent, both of which are well worth reading today. They really hold up. I'm sad that they've fallen out of circulation. Yeah, I really, really am. So and, we definitely recommend them, especially if you have kids that like to be read too. Yeah, yeah, and you want to read them something a little more intelligent that is not like dumbed down or simplified in terms of language. You want to go ahead and give them a challenge. A little more intelligent, a little more uh, well-written than Nancy Drew, for example. Oh, I have to say they are pretty badly written. I have, even I will admit that. Um, and also, you know, there is an entry on Mary Mapes Dodge in Wikipedia from which I drew my, my sparse little information. Do you have anything else to say about Mary MMD? Love you, Mary. Yeah. Thanks for the work you did. We're still enjoying it. I think that's everything. So. Okay. We'll see you again for our next episode. Yeah, maybe we'll do a, a continue to do a reading, our reading together things, because we really should do something on uh, Martha Wells and the Murderbot Diaries. Mm-hmm. That'll be forthcoming. Bye, everyone. Bye. If you want to get in touch with us, shoot us out an email to foiblespodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. <laughs>